Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm really excited about today's conversation. Um, a new guest, uh, a friend of mine from Twitter, uh, we had a little conversation which we thought would make a really good podcast. So um, welcome to the show, Kelly Wolf. Thank you so much, James, for having me. I'm really excited to to be here and to discuss this. Yes, me too. Yes. And you'll, uh, yes, you'll probably get some idea from the title of the podcast, what, uh, what <laughs> it's going to be about. Um, so <laughs> we're already be prepared. Um, yeah, we're going to go into some important stuff here, which needs to be talked about um, around lust and desire and, and faith uh, and how all that kind of mixes up together uh, and a lot of other things. So um, yeah, tell us, before we get into that, just, just to kind of introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself, Kelly. Yeah, I uh, I am 33. I am single, uh, a native of the Dallas area in Texas, um, and kind of have you know wandered for school a little bit, but ended up back here. I am an insurance agent um, by career, but uh, am a writer and. Um, you know, all things creative by hobby. <laughs> so um, I paint and rehab furniture. Um, I paint on canvases. I um, try to do, you know, as much creative outlet as I possibly can. And um, and then my job allows me the freedom to do that with my hours and, and salary. So that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know if it's important to say this. Um, I I grew up in at, in the Church of Christ denomination here in uh, you know in Texas in the Bible Belt. So I was a part of that denomination for twenty five years, um, and then for the next seven, I was a part of an SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, mega church, and then. Um, due to some circumstances that went on with the church and then also just an evolution of my own theology around women and LGBTQ inclusion. Um, I find myself now at an Episcopal church where I would say I identify as 60% Episcopal and 40% ELCA Lutheran. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for that. So that probably is quite helpful to know. Yeah. yeah. Because it's always good to know people's journeys and how they got to where they are, I think, because it helps us understand um, each other better. Right. And yeah. I think for this conversation, especially, you know, the, the more conservative sides of, of the church, I think, are going to really relate with this. And so I want to start by saying I, I'm one of you. <laughs> I, I was steeped in that culture as well. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, my journey in that area is interesting. I, I The more I look back on my, um, at my upbringing, the less conservative I realized I was. But um, I actually only became conservative, more conservative as a kind of due to peer pressure when I went to university. Mm. I was in the Methodist church. I started in the Methodist church, um, which is quite liberal um, over here. We had, you know, we were having like women, women, ordained women uh, Mm -hmm. in the 80s, you know, like one of my my first ministers was a a woman. Um, That was normalized to me right from the start, Um, you know. And I don't think I ever really kind of really truly shifted to conservative theology, but I just kind of went along with it because it was like, well, everyone else is saying this is right. So I guess I have to, otherwise God's going to be mad at me. Right. Uh, Reverse peer pressure. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, <laughs> you know, university student unions can be quite um, mm-hmm. conservative. So, uh, but yeah, so yeah, onto the kind of topic. What was your kind of, what's your journey been with this, with this whole, with this whole topic? And, and why did you want to talk about it? Yeah, so, um, so let me start with kind of that second question. I, I tweeted the, uh, the other day, it was probably two or three weeks ago now. Has anyone done any work um, nuancing out the difference between desire and lust? Um, and, you know, several people were saying, oh, my gosh, this is great. I wish you would. And several people were saying, oh, let's come, you know, let's come on a podcast and talk about it or um, or, you know, describe what you mean for us there and stuff. So um, the the way that it actually that question was was spawned was here in the United States. I'm sure this is not news to you guys, but um, on January the 6th, there was an insurrection at our Capitol. And um, that day, watching the news was unlike any day. I, I, <clears throat> I'm almost about to get choked up. Unlike any day I can remember. Um, and we had just taken in a fire hose of terrifying information. Um, and so either the next day, I think it was the next day when things you know, began to start settling back down and uh, repercussions started to happen, I, I tweeted a series of ideas um, for people who had been feeling that stress of the last two days in their bodies. Um, so, I, you know, I said, uh, anoint that part of your body with essential oil, pray for it, take a hot bath. And then one of the suggestions was masturbate. Um, and, and then I said in parentheses or, you know, have sex. If you're a couple, then you prefer to do that. Um, and my DMs blew up. Um, halfway with people saying, oh my gosh, thank you for saying this, that that as, as a form of stress relief, as a form of um, just healthy outlet, et cetera, we're so glad somebody said this. The other half um, just scandalized by the fact that I would suggest that um, with any kind of, yeah. uh, you know, in the same par- paragraph as I was saying, pray, or, you know, that, that God was... Um, was a part of our bodies and had designed our bodies and all that, that I would mix those two conversations. So, mm. um, so me knowing that those are not two conversations, I don't believe that is, that is one ongoing conversation that God who created our bodies and designed them to work um, should not be siloed off and kept from any conversation around how they work. Um, and so, so I, you know, it did feel scary, honestly, to to tweet that at first, um, because I was raised sort of back to your first question. I was raised in um, in the height of purity culture here in America and, um, you know, true love weights and all of those things. Uh, my church actually was so much more conservative that we didn't even do true love weights because that was the Baptists and that was liberal. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So it was, you know, even more than that, there was just an understanding that if you even wanted to have sex, um, you were wanting to sin. And so there was not even the freedom to ask questions about it, not even the freedom certainly to nuance something out like this, um, because because all you would be seen as wanting permission to sin. Um, and that's, you know, in a in a denomination where you can lose your salvation based on a sin you know, it's terrifying. You wouldn't do that. And so, 
uh, or you certainly wouldn't let people see it. So, um, so having been raised in that culture, but then also, you know, now in my thirties, um, having gone through a bit of a faith evolution and looking back at what scripture actually does say about sex and bodies and marriage and embodiment and relationships. And that's sort of been a lot of the journey I've been on. Um, I'm not convinced in any way that uh, one must lust in order to masturbate. I'm certainly not convinced that the Bible even addresses masturbation. I don't believe it does, except conceptually, which we can get to. Um, But but more than that, as I was kind of saying before we hit record, I am having this conversation with women constantly. Um, whether they're women just friends of mine, whether they are women I'm walking with in, in a mentor type relationship, um, just people on on Twitter, on the internet, and my you know in private messages. So this conversation is happening. Um, it's just happening in whispers. Um, and on top of that, they're doing it. People are doing it. And so I, they're just doing it in a way that is full of shame and full of secret, uh, secretiveness. And so um, to me, I, I don't believe that anything good can flourish with when it's secret. You know, the light has to hit it. And so I just, I, I was wondering if there's a way to have this conversation that can spread liberation and grace instead of shame around the idea of lust and masturbation and bodies. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, We do need to talk about it. We do need to be more open about it. I've done a lot of embodiment work in the last year or so. Uh, I had an an embodiment coach for for about four months and still, um, you know, still speak to them um, quite regularly. And You'll have to message me about that after we are done recording. I'm I'm very interested. No, she was a guest on the show. Jamie, Jamie Lee Finch was a guest. Oh, 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 okay. Great. She's uh, she's fantastic, and um, um, done a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have done a lot of work with, with Jamie, but um, uh, or embodiment coaching of some kind. Because it and yeah. I think for me, I learned to talk to my body as a person, uh, yeah. and listen to my intuition, listen to my desires, be connected to all of them, and own them, and say that's okay. Has detoxed me a lot from kind of purity culture. I remember, and I think I've said this on the show maybe once or twice that, that I had a conversation with, with, with Jamie and we're talking about, uh, um, talking about sex. And I was, I would, I, I don't remember what, what, what she said, but I remember I was going to be saying something and, and I couldn't say the word, I couldn't literally couldn't say the word sex. I was, mm. I was, my mouth was open, ready to say it. And I couldn't physically get the air out of my lungs to say it. Cause I, and I literally felt my brain send the message to stop me saying it. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Like purity culture has done this done this to me. Like it's enslaving. Um, uh, like it's psycho it's a psychological thing. It's like you know, and I and I've been doing internal family systems therapy, which has helped um, kind of unlearn that and kind of get rid of that, which is you know, that's been quite liberating. But but still, you know, it's still a battle and it's still like like you're talking about masturbation, you know, it's like that's still a I still feel uncomfortable saying that word and talking mm-hmm. about. This is a guy. I'm playing it cool, like it's not bothering me, but it is. It feels awkward. Yeah, um, and because it, because we've been, that's what we've been trained to think, you know, and that it's awkward to talk about, and you, know, you shouldn't be talking about it. And uh, but yeah, I mean, we're human beings, and we're built with 
you know, our bodies have desires, our bodies have needs. Yes. <laughs> um, and we can't just ignore and like well, I guess purity culture kind of trains you to think that your desires are evil and that anything that you desire or that you or that you or that your body desires or needs is evil. Right. Uh, and uh, indoctrinates you psychologically into into that. And it's 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 really damaging. It it really is. And and here's the you know, as I was kind of um, teasing out a little bit on on Twitter that night, I have I had been raised with this definition of lust. Um, anything you are willing to sin to get. So it doesn't have to be related to sex. It can be chocolate cake or it can be wine or it can be money. Um, people don't talk about that one a lot. <laughs> um, but. But specifically around the idea of sex, you know, when when Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her already. Um, You know, looking at the original languages there. um, The idea there is if you're looking at a woman and you're already making plans. You're already thinking, how can we what's a hotel room we could get or how can I get her attention or. Um, this is what we would be doing together or something like that. So if you're, if you're willing to actually sin to get it, not just imagine, um, then, then, you know, I think there is a fine line there, um, with, between lust and, and desire, but I still won't go as far as to say, you know, so then you shouldn't do it. Every time I open my mouth to speak, I could end up lying or I could end up gossiping, but it doesn't mean I don't speak. Um, it just means that I grow in grace and I repent when I need to. And I walk in faith that God is not arbitrary and punitive and angry at me all the time. Um, and so that's sort of the place I'd like to get to with with our bodies, um, our bodies needs, but also the way that they're designed. So God, in God's goodness and in God's generosity, um, and I'll speak to this primarily for women, Here comes another word we're going to be uncomfortable with. God designed the clitoris with 8,000 nerve endings in it, which is more than than a penis has. And it serves zero reproductive or evolutionary um, purpose. It is strictly for pleasure. Um, And even uh, the female orgasm is not necessary for reproduction. That to me is God saying to his daughters, to her daughters, I love you. Let me just give you this good thing. Um, it's not needed. It's not, um, you know, something that you get to enjoy because you also have to do X, Y, Z. It is just, um, it is just purely generosity. Yeah. And I actually heard as well, somebody tell me once that women's sex drive actually goes up after menopause. Like, yes. Yes. They want sex more. Their bodies did want sex more after they can't have children. Right. right? So well, they can't have children anymore. So the idea that it's that the sex, the idea of the, 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 the you know the, the idea of sex is just to reproduce is right. Just well, and well, women being multi-orgasmic, even if men aren't. So the idea that a woman could keep going when the actual sexual intercourse has stopped. All of these things are um, are just evidence to me that God, um, you know, in in God's goodness was certainly um, 
was generous and kind. And also that is just a way that I accept love from God, that, that God designed my body in a way that it can experience intense pleasure. Um, and so, you know, part of this is that is that sort of wanting to come against that slippery slope theology, uh, better safe than sorry kind of theology. So whereas we would say, you know, the Bible doesn't speak to it, doesn't say you can't specifically. Um, so we'll extrapolate lusting or we'll extrapolate whatever other um you know, text we can to make it a sin and then we'll, you know, fill it with shame because it's a, you're better safe than sorry if you just avoid it altogether. Um, that to me is a view of God that is in no way God honoring because it's not worshiping a God whose character is love and kindness and generosity and compassion. It is a God who is waiting to smite. Um, and that's not, that's not who God is. No, but it's, it's almost sad in a way that, Yes, but it's come to this, and it. I think. I think it's down to. Uh, you know, we don't we don't like to talk about sex and and stuff, and I don't know how much of that is from purity culture and how much of that influenced purity culture becoming what it was. You know, in that you know, yeah, because sex is always a difficult thing to talk about, even without purity culture. Uh, um, well, and, but I'll tell you, you know, at the at the end of Genesis two, whenever that God has you know finished. Th- the story of creation, the origin stories of, of humanity, it says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And whatever you believe about Genesis and whether it was, um, you know, historical fact or whatever, there is something to be said for the fact that there is no shame around their naked, their nudity or their bodies or the idea of sex um, before sin enters the world. Sin and shame are not of God. Sin and shame are of evil or of the enemy or however you would classify that, um, shame is never from God. Nobody's ever been shamed into um, into really loving God and themselves and, and uh, pursuing righteousness. They have been shamed out of doing it in public, maybe, and taking it into a more dark or secretive place. Um, but I don't believe that that's God's heart for God's children. No, I think he wants to enjoy sex, you know, and Enjoy, yeah, just it, it's not like a big, you know, it's not like a big thing. There are some people who don't want to. I, I, I have friends who don't want to have children, um, women um, and men, uh, and that's okay. You don't have to want to have children. There's, there's no prerequisite saying you have to have children. If you want children, have children. If you right. don't want, children, don't have children. You know, it's it's not a like a command or a measure of character or. You know, that's the biggest, that's one of the things that I disliked the, in the right. church uh, was like, it's a measure of your character as to how soon you can get married. And <laughs> have, like, so if you can't do, if, you, if you're stuck single for a long time, that means you're not mature. It means you're selfish. It means you're, you know, you're childish. It means you, yes. you know, you don't quite fit, you know, or the God doesn't love you as much or you've done something wrong, you know, and that is completely just, wrong it's a lie from the pit of hell yeah Yeah, lie from the pit of hell yeah it is like some people don't want to don't want a partner some people you know we know we we know about asexual the asexual spectrum i've I've talked to jeff about about that on this platform he's a mutual friend of ours like um some people don't want a partner at all we don't want to have sex at all some people 
are happy to go through life on their own. You know, that's totally yeah. fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It all belongs. Or due to uh, your trauma or past wounds, if you just can't get there, if you can't have sex or if you can't, if you don't even want to go into a relationship, either with uh, someone of the opposite sex or of the same sex, all of those things are are just fine. And certainly within the purview that God has given God's children in in deciding what family looks like for them, um, whether that's, you know, their friends, whether that's the community that they surround themselves with, or whether that's an actual nuclear family that, that may look however they want it to. Um, the other, the, the part of, um, this that I think is interesting. So I, I asked someone, I won't, I won't name them, but he is, um, a part of my old, church, um, my old, the Southern Baptist church I was a part of, um, you know, I told him I was going to be coming on here and what we were going to be talking about. And he gave me every single party line I was expecting and that I had heard, you know, um, it's better safe than sorry. You better not go on there and write a blank check for everybody because it can be dangerous for some people. Um, you, you know, you don't want to be the one giving permission to sin, etc. And, um, and I'll just I'll just say this: the Bible never, never, not once, says that orgasms are supposed to be had only in a marital context. Um, culturally, it does say, um, you know, it does talk about sexual immorality. But that's there's a hundred, you know, if there's a hundred people, there's a hundred views on what is actually immoral when it comes to sex. Is that taking? Is that um, pedophilia? Is that, uh, you know, conquering? Is that lack of consent? Or is that, you know, in, engaging in sex outside of an actual legal marriage? I don't know. Is it engaging in sex with more than one person at a time um, when you're not, you know, monogamous and committed? All of these things are ideas presented by biblical scholars as to what sexual immorality can mean. Uh, but in no, in no translation of the Bible, can, you, can it be said that orgasms are designed only to be had in a marital context? And, and I no. see that very no. regularly per, um, perpetuated, um, that narrative in the, in the conservative evangelical church and even just sort of a mainline evangelicals um, that would be, you know, side B um, around LGBTQ issues or, or whatever that, that, are more moderate than the ultra conservatives would still say that that's the case. Um, and I just, I feel compelled to come against that because you would be hard pressed to find that anywhere in scripture. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and I mean, my view on the whole sex before marriage thing has completely changed. You know, I grew up in, in the church, basically just, it was just a given, you know, I didn't even look at the theology. I was just told that's how it is, you know, uh, with, and that's it so I just accepted it again you know uh, and that was one of the big things I had to unlearn you know that and I looked at history I looked at like hold on a minute people only started getting married for love about 150 years ago right before that, before that it was only rich people that got married because they were they only could afford to get married so there for thousands of years there were a bunch, there were people who probably were some of them were Christians probably who weren't married but had life partners and probably had children and that kind of thing. Uh, and they didn't have a wedding ceremony or have a legal document or a ring or, 
Like, so this whole idea, and, you know, when you look at marriage in the Bible, it was a kind of, it was a, it was kind of a way of maintaining society, like, you know. Yeah, it was a political or a, or a property, you know, kind of financial decision, yeah. mostly. Yeah, like a, like a, yeah, like a baby factory for the, for the Roman Empire kind of thing, you know. Yeah, or even back in the days of, you know, I mean, Solomon had seven, what is it, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Yeah, I don't I think totally that, that, you know, we can't say biblical marriage here when we're talking about that because the Bible speaks to all kinds of, um, yeah. and I would say that is sexual immorality. I would say that. But still I Solomon mean, was blessed by God with, with more wisdom than has ever been given anyone. I mean, I can't even a man having a thousand different partners. I, I can't, <laughs> can't get married. Um, uh, you know, um, so, and, but so but, many of those wives were political distinctions. So Israel gets to stay on top, gets to stay politically in power if, you know, he is married to, you know, the king of XYZ's nation, uh, yeah. their daughter, right? And so he collects wives like he collects political power. Um, exactly. And so yeah. that just speaks to what you were saying as far as people marrying for love and even sexual attraction being a part of that very recently. Um, you know, it was, uh, in fact, the studies of the female orgasm started in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. um, so either it wasn't getting done, the job wasn't getting done, or um, it was so, it was such an anomaly that, that women could enjoy sex. It was just a duty that they had to fulfill, right? And that's, that is, to me, immoral. That to me is that that a woman would have to just endure under under something that she wasn't enjoying. You know that's traumatic. <laughs> um, yeah. And so to say that women don't enjoy sex is first of all patently false, or that women's sex drives are lower than men's. I would say is patently false, um, and certainly not not um, not by any large scale. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and the whole, yeah, and the whole idea of, of marriage, like that, you have to be married to have sex doesn't really work for me. Um, I mean, even when you look at, I, I have relatives and friends who are not legally married, but they are life partners. They've been together for years. They're, you know, they have families and they're happy and they have a really strong relationship. And there's a oneness there, you know, but, yes. you know, and they don't need a legal document or a ring to, to, to show that it's, it's in the relationship. The energy between them is it is the relationship. That's that's what they've created. Uh, right. The love between them and everything, you know. So, and I think I think it's yeah. important to talk about if we're going to talk about what sexual immorality is and isn't, um, and whether or not that can be you know deputized into this conversation. I think it's important to talk about what sexual morality looks like. Um, yeah. And to me we have two really solid litmus tests in scripture. Um, and, and the reason I keep bringing up scripture is because I want this conversation to not just impact those who don't need scripture in order to be, you know, to be convinced, but also for those who, who would say, well, we'll you know, prove it. And for those who would say, prove it, um, I, I want to continue to appeal to the fact that they, you know, that you won't find this in scripture or that this is what it says. Um, because I think that's important. This is not just that I want to release people from shame if they agree. <laughs> because the people who disagree are still doing it and are still talking about it. Um, they're just doing it in shame. And that's that's heartbreaking. Um, two litmus tests, I would say, 
Um, you know, when Jesus says that the man comes to him and says, what is the greatest of all your commands? Um, and Jesus says, what do you think it is? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strengths and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, you know, he's, he agrees and he says, on these two commands, hang the law and the prophets. Mm. On those two things, you can summarize the Bible. You can summarize God's heart for God's children. Love God, love neighbor. Exactly. Um, and, and if anything in the commands of God leads you to love God less or love neighbor less, you have misinterpreted. <laughs> um, and so, so I would say that things like neighbor love, so um, not just consent, but going further than consent, which I believe Nadia Boltz-Weber talks about really well in her book, Shameless, but going towards concern for the other, you know, when we're talking about sex, not just masturbation, obviously, um, that's important. And, and you know, if I, am, am I, if I am imagining myself in a sexual scenario with someone, um, maybe let's say who's single, just so we have no qualms, you know, from anybody, uh, someone who's single or someone who I don't even know who have, my mind has just sort of concocted. <laughs> right. Um, and I, and I'm imagining that if it, if that imagining leads me to degrade the opposite gender leads me to, um, be fantasizing about disrespectful or degrading acts. If it leads me to, um, to a greater propensity to see sex as a conquering or I'm going to take my power back or anything like that. Yeah. I, I think that we have issues there with, with morality. And I still would say um, sexual flourishing, just like emotional flourishing and mental flourishing is a journey and it's one of maturity. And for many of us, that mature, ma that maturation has been stunted because we've been told not to even talk about it. Um, and so we're growing. And God is not a God who is waiting to smite. And so there is grace. There is grace to grow and to learn. Um, and I'm not saying there's grace if you want to, you know, take somebody without consent. I just mean if your mind, you know, lingers on a thought a little bit too long and it goes a little bit too far, that doesn't mean you should never try again. That just means just like I said about speaking, if I happen to tell a lie in our conversation here, it doesn't mean I should never speak again. It means I should walk in repentance and try to do better next time. Um, but so that, you know, loving God, and, and as I said about um, God's design for the female body, this is only all I can speak to is, is female body. Um, it does lead me to love God more. I can finish masturbating and say, thank you, God. That it doesn't have to be that then I clean myself up and I, not literally, I meant my, my actions. Um, and I, then I can go back to God when I'm, you know, when I'm acting perfectly again. No, I believe God's there in the room. I believe God has designed my body to do exactly what it's doing. And at the end, I can say, thank you, God, for the way you designed my body to work. Um, and so that, you know, it does lead me to greater love for God. Thank you, God, for certain body parts. Thank you, God, for orgasms. Thank you for sexuality. In I mean, imagine a life with just that had been designed devoid of sexuality. Um, it, <laughs> the world would be quite different. Um, and so 
So loving God and loving neighbor, the other litmus test that, um, in fact, I want to give credit to Jenna um, DeWitt. She, um, in our conversation that we had had previously, um, brought up the fruit of the spirit. Um, and that's, I think that's another important litmus test that against those things, there is no law. And so if if this act is leading you towards greater love, greater peace, greater joy, greater, um, and yes, greater self-control, by all means, by all means. Um, but if you notice that it is not bearing good fruit, or if it starts to bear the opposite, um, addiction or um, a general, you know, misogyny or the way that you view other people, um, then yes, we have a morality issue with with the way we're practicing our sexuality, um, and I think that that should be addressed. But in this conversation, I, what I don't want to harp on is all the ways it can go bad and become a sin, um, because. Yeah. I think yeah. I think liberation is important here, and and if I want to find a way to speak grace and to speak um, hope into the people who are already doing this, and who um, are are talking about it and saying these very similar things, but just behind closed door and in a whisper. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I just I I would like to shed light, um, to bring God into the conversation instead of it being, quote, dirty or inappropriate. It's not inappropriate. Our bodies are designed to work this way. God did that. God did not turn his back for a second and then be like, whoa, who, who put those there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. God did this intentionally. And, um, and so, yeah, that's just sort of the two litmus tests I would look to. And yeah. I want to actually back up to love God and love neighbor because the end of that is love self. Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. Um, and I can tell you that um, there is a way in which masturbation, first of all, I, I spoke with numerous people recently um, that it serves migraine relief. Um, that the hormones um, released and chemicals released in the brain um, serve to, um, and I'm not a scientist here, so please, I'm not an expert, but um, they, they sort of reverse the effects of cortisol, which is the stress hormone on your body. Um, certainly it can be used as sleep aid um, or, you know, the ability to find a release and then go to sleep. Um, all of these things. And so it, it can also lead to healing from uh, from a body view that you have that may be self-loathing or may be disgusted. And I can speak to that personally, that, um, you know, not so long ago, a year or two ago, I, I was in deep, dark self-loathing um, and disgust about my body. Um, and through the last year or so, I, I have found freedom from that. And part of that is because I began to appreciate my body for the way it was designed and to worship God for the way it was designed. And when I married those two ideas, um, it was hard to be disgusted. And then, the, like you said, my body is not an it, it's a person. It is me. And so I would refer to her as she, right? And so um, my body, thank you, um, to my body, she has served me well today. She um, is good and holy and sacred. Um, she bears God's image, you know, those kinds of things. So um, so just summarizing, love God, love neighbor, love of self, 
Um, and then in that same token, I would say that um, in the same way that I wouldn't come on here and write a blank check for people to pursue wine um, or or money at all costs or anything like that, I do want to just say that their sexual addiction is real. Um, pornography addiction is real. And, and we haven't addressed pornography much in this conversation at all. And that's for a reason, because I don't think the two are mutually inclusive. They do not need to be equated with one another, um, the ma masturbation and pornography. But, um, but, but that is, you know, it is a possibility. And so I do want to, I do want to exhort people to wisdom and to self-awareness, um, knowing your propensities for maybe addiction or for self-medicating or whatever it may be. So um, that's sort of where I would, uh, I would leave an exhortation to, to wisdom there. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said, really. Um, yeah. It's, it's about loving others, loving yourself, Honouring the divine in what you do. Um, and, yeah, those other things that you mentioned at the end. Yeah, they're, they're, they can be unhealthy. They can be damaging. They can uh, they can end be ways of, they can become ways of avoiding the pain, avoiding dealing with what you're processing, which is not healthy because we need to process our grief and our pain and, and our trauma. We need to actually do work on it to get free of it rather than medicate it with other things. And I still, though, I still wouldn't look at that through the lens of sin. I still would say that that's a lens through uh, through which, you know, it's not just sexual health, but it's emotional and mental health. Yeah, um, It should be taken yeah. into consideration. It's a health issue, I would say, more than it is a sin issue. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree. It's not, um, I just, yeah, exactly. I mean, the neurological effects of some of those those things is, is not, is not, is not good. Um, right, right. Um, that's that's really what I was kind of focusing on there. Um, so, yeah, this has been really really great. I think, yeah, lots of wisdom. Uh, yeah. and, uh, thank you, Kelly. It, it, you know, uh, I, I don't. I just. I don't speak out of any kind of, like I said, expertise or anything like that. I just. And I think that actually lends more credibility to the conversation because it is being had by just lay people, by regular human beings that are trying to, you know, walk a life of faith and, uh, and honor God or, or honor scripture in, in some cases, or, um, or honor your own personal sexual ethic. I think this conversation can go a long way to creating and, and helping form your own personal sexual ethic. Um, you know, that's, a, that's, a, becomes a framework for how you decide what kind of sexual decisions to make and which ones to, to avoid. But, um, but I am not an expert, and so if there's anything you know scientifically that I have said that's that's incorrect, uh, I ask you know forgiveness. Um, but having done so much research on this because I've talked about it so much lately, um, I do feel pretty confident, at least anecdotally, in what I've said. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, and I'm, I mean, my encouragement at the end to the listeners would be to just have these conversations with your friends, have conversations with people that you know and trust and feel safe with um we need to have these conversations uh because we need to get rid of the shame we need to be free from shame and fear and um those kind of unhealthy ways of thinking that we've that many of us have been in, had been indoctrinated into thinking 
uh, and to be be honest about our our sexuality, our bodies, um, and love ourselves well um, and honor our bodies. Um, that's and I would really- exhort I would exhort anyone who finds himself in leadership at a church um, or in authority in any case like that, um, or even as a parent. Um, to not let purity culture become the lens by which you teach, to not let better safe than sorry become the refrain that your kids or those in your care um, hear. I I would pray and exhort you to find ways to open up grace and liberation to those under your authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree completely. Um, So thank you. And where can people connect with you uh, online? Yes, thank you. Um, thank you again for having me. This has just been a really enjoyable conversation, and I'm I'm thankful to that you opened up your platform and your space um, to be able to have this discussion. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly K Wolf. That's K E L L Y, the letter K, and then W O L F E. Kelly with a Y and Wolf with an E, I always say. Um, and then my website is letitmatter.com. Um, and there you can find my blog. Um, any, uh, I have a few meditations I've posted there. Also some stuff about the rehabbing furniture that I do. So, uh, so that would be the three main ways to find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. I really hope this was helpful for you.